Timothy grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, welcome aboard. Of course, uh, everybody's talking about the Trump indictments. Uh, you know as much as we do by this time. We will be talking a little bit about it later, but uh, all news is really local, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. And uh, We have Carol Coletta with us, who I've known for many years. She's the president and CEO of Memphis River Parks Partnership. Uh, she was largely responsible for the renovation and modernization of Tombley Park, uh, much a very controversial uh, issue. Uh, and then you talk to people that actually went down there during Memphis and May, uh, the barbecue and the music fest. I mean, we're talking about founders like Rodney Baber and, and Lyman Aldrich and Tom Hutton, who came back and told me they did a great job. <laughs> so Carol Coletta is here in studio. Thank you for coming, Carol. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, this is, uh, anytime you do something different, and, and we were talking just before we went on, they said the same thing about the FedEx form. There were people that had yard signs, no FedEx form. We don't want it. Same thing I remember with the pyramid when they built the pyramid, and and John Tigert was a good friend of mine, and all he went through, the uh, consternation with that. This had a tremendous blowback for the first time you put the rendering at Beale Street Landing for everybody to come by and look at I went by and looked at it. My first concern was, well, you're not going to be able to see that much of the park driving down Riverside Drive. And then, as I find out later, that was part of the deal is to make them go to the park as opposed to just driving down the street. What was it like with all the the people saying, we don't want it? I mean, that's that's tough to do. You're trying to get something done, and you went out and got raised the money. Uh, You got uh, an architect out of Chicago, Jeannie uh, uh, Gang, who's world-renowned. I saw a piece on her on the CBS Sunday Morning News this past Sunday. They showed Tom Lee Park as one of her projects, along with some other amazing projects. And so, but you you remember with all this resistance, what was that like? And and are you still getting resistance after Memphis and May when so many people got to look at it? I think resistance, just like you said, Earl, resistance on a project that, that, um, first of all, people don't like change, right? I yeah, mean, and the older like, you get, the less you like it. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, first of all, you're trying to change something. Second, the people have made a lot of great memories at Memphis in May in Tom Lee Park. Sure. So, you know, people hold on to those memories and they don't, they really don't want change. And if they perceive you're doing anything to threaten the ability of them to continue to make memories, uh, with uh, an experience like that, you know, they resist it. And, and that's under- So you knew that going in. Oh, uh, yes. I think I, I like, I mean, I, the things I don't like change, uh, you know, to, but I, I, I think I tend to embrace change a little more than, than a lot of people, um, <laughs> evidenced by, by my career. But, um, <laughs> but nonetheless, I think we knew there would be resistance. I don't think I understood how emotional it would be for some people. And so, um, but we felt like while seven days a year, uh, it's uh, of Memphis and May, it's big, it's impactful, it makes memories, it's important, it's, it can be joyful. 
Um, and all of that's really important. But what do you do the other? Because the there other? was nobody down there the rest of the year for the well, most part. very few. Very and, few. In fact, I remember being down there many times doing live shots for the different TV stations. And as you have, I've made many changes over the years, too. I've worked for every TV station in Memphis. But being down there doing live shots, I had tourists come up to me and go, where are the people? Where are the people? And I'd go, well, it's early in the morning. I said, no, but in my city, if you had a facility like this on the river, there would be thousands of people out walking with their dogs and jogging this morning. And I said, well, more and more people are moving down here. And this is a number of years ago. But that is something you see. You see them on Friday nights, Saturday nights, Thursday nights downtown. Go down during the week. You don't see them. You don't see them at lunch because so many people, corporations have moved out of downtown. So this part of the plan here was to bring people downtown for a destination trip to the park. It, it is, it, but it's also to connect the riverfront for the first time ever to downtown. Um, because, you know, our riverfront is odd. On the, on the west side of our riverfront is a river that rises and falls 55 feet a year. So many parts of the year, you are not close to the river. If you're on the riverfront, the river's way down below you as it is today. Um, Then you have a four-lane, fast-moving traffic on a city street on the east side of you. And then you have a very high bluff. And you put all that together. And and then you have railroad tracks at the top. So you put all that together. And there's a lot of separation between the riverfront and downtown. And one of the ideas with this park which I think is hard to understand until you see it, is to join up downtown and the riverfront in ways they have not been joined before so that people par- have a park once and see a lot of things in um, on that one trip. I mean, if you think about New York, and Memphis is not New York and never will be and shouldn't be, but you can walk 30 blocks, 40 blocks in New York, and you never think you've done that because there's something to see every block. Step right? away, yeah. Right. And so you forget you've walked 30 to 40 blocks. You're not out walking. You're out seeing and experiencing the city. And I think we have an opportunity to do that, not 30 to 40 blocks, but in a smaller area in downtown and to enjoy the riverfront as this unmatched asset that we have in Memphis, unlike almost city in, in, any city in the country. I mean, show me another riverfront that matches, uh, another river that matches ours. Well, you really don't. I think that was the concern of so many people. We had such, they felt like such a great riverfront, but then they really didn't have anything else to compare it to. They just would look at it the one time a year, as you said, when they go down to Memphis and May and all the tents and the activity and what it looked like. Then if you take all that away, then it's that big empty uh, place there for the rest of the year. And now with the landscaping, uh, and the uh, various, you know, centers of activity in the park, which are many, um, it, it feels like a destination. It feels like a place you could be every day of the year. One of the complaints I've heard is that there is no real parking down along the park like there used to be, which means they have to park uh, maybe at FedEx Forum. They've just finished the new uh, multi-level garage next to the Orpheum Theater. So that's really pretty, the closest large parking place. Uh but as you said, if you're in Manhattan, you don't mind walking 20, 30 blocks. In Memphis, as you well know, if they can't drive up to the front door of a business, they don't want to go, So, which is one of the problems with Mud Island. Remember, people, they didn't want to take the time to take the tram. And they were, before Oxford Street Bridge was built, there wasn't a way to get over there, really, except by go down to the north end. Uh, do you think that 
as people start realizing that uh, that it isn't that big a walk two blocks from the new parking garage and it's downhill and then it's a flat service on the park for the most part because even though he built moguls everything else the walking there is still pretty flat yeah uh that's a really uh, you know that is our challenge is to help people understand where to park and what the journey is from their parking spot to the park and uh you know, the journey is as important as the destination. So we have to make the sure the journey feels comfortable. You mentioned FedEx Forum. The vast majority of people who go to FedEx Forum do not park at FedEx Forum. No. Right? No. They park all around downtown. But the funny thing is they return over and over to the same place. So, you know, people will say, well, I go to the University of Memphis and I always park next to St. Patrick's Church. Right? That's yeah, their They find space. their place, yeah. That's right. Other people, I park in parking can be fun, and I walk, and I love the walk. I mean, people love the walk because, you know what? They're walking with other people. Yeah. They're walking with, you know, and that's part of the fun. So the journey becomes part of the experience. Will the trolley come back down to the riverfront? And because remember, for years ago, it just came right along uh, uh, beside Riverside Drive, up to, I think, to, or it was on top. It was of the, on top. It was on top. Love. Yeah. Uh, and then when it shut down completely, it has not come back there. Is that part of the plan is to bring the trolley back down along there? Matt assures us that they in, intend to bring the trolley back to uh, the bluff. Good. And uh, that will be that'll be great. Uh, but but if you think about it, the Main Street trolley is literally two blocks from yeah. from the bluff. So in some ways, I mean, I think in our minds, sometimes the journey, if the journey is uncomfortable, we think it's a long journey. If the journey is fun and pleasant and comfortable and we're, we feel safe, then the journey is short. Well, we got to make the journey short. Well, for so many of my friends who are now the first thing they ask me when we go someplace, they go, how far do I have to walk? And, but that comes with age. And I, normally I watch people all the time that are younger and they don't, it doesn't bother you. you just walk, you know, I used to run all the time and it didn't bother me at all. Uh, as far as the, the the shape and the look of the park and the moguls and everything, what was the reaction from the people you saw? And the, you were down there, I'm sure, during Memphis in May. What were, what was the response you got to the look of the park? Uh, you know, people said, uh, told reporters, as you saw, um, during Music Fest in particular, wow, love it. There's shade, you know, there are places to sit. Uh, and, of course, we don't even have our benches in yet. We don't have our lighting in yet. We're only 80% done. But um, people seem to have such a positive reaction to the park. And, and I will say the ticket buyers for Memphis in May were, uh, seemed to be re- extremely respectful of the space, which right. was great. I think the, you know, but it is a challenge uh, when you've got a number of small operators or people who drive a truck once a year, you know, uh, to to sort of follow the rules that Memphis and May itself institutes. So, um, but the reaction we got was very positive. We're talking with Carol Coletta, who is president of the Memphis uh, River Parks uh, Partnership. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, come back. If you have some questions you'd like to ask Carol, give us a call at 901-260-5926. And we've got some more questions for her as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back. 
little of the Rolling Stones waiting for a friend. We got a friend indeed here with us now, Carol Coletta, who's head of the Memphis River Parks Partnership. And uh, Memphis is a very famous town. I mean, I think there's more songs written about Memphis than any other city in the world. And the reason is it's such a unique city, and uh, people are very, very proud of it here. Uh, well, and anywhere you go in the world, you'll go in a dressing room, a store, a restaurant, and Memphis music. Yeah, and it, it does, and, and, it, and it's mentioned so much. And that's, I think, uh, everybody wants, right now we're going through this, such a crime thing, but everybody in the country is going through it. It's not just Memphis. Oh, no. In fact, oh, I no. got a guy coming on in a minute from uh, uh, Spokane, Washington, has a big security firm, and we're going to be talking about what people can do here. The storefronts, uh, Buster's got smashed in the other night and robbed again. So there are things that everybody's dealing with, but one thing, you only have one impression, and that's the first impression people have of you and your city, and that's when they drive in. If you come in from the airport, you got a totally different uh, impression of Memphis than if you come across the bridge and you see the downtown and, and, and now the river park. And I know that uh, you went out and found an architect who's one of the best in the world, which I think is marvelous. And a lot of people don't know this, that over in Park, you mentioned Manhattan earlier, that uh, Central Park was designed by the same guy that designed Overton Park. And I think a lot of people don't know that, but that's the reason Overton Park is so beloved, because of the way it's laid out. And it is like going to a forest. And that was, so I guess, part of what you guys wanted to do is create, at one time, the forest extended right up to the river. There were no trails or roads or anything else. It just it was all right to the river, and it picked up on the other side all of Arkansas was was forest. And so that's kind of the feeling you get now when you go to the new park. Well, you recall, if you're old enough, that where Tom Lee Park sits today was a dump. Yes. It was I was a, old enough to remember that. I've seen it, pictures of it. It was a dump. And then the Corps of Engineers, of course, built the dike wall. That's when it became 31 acres. And, and that was to that shore in. up, then yeah. they fill that in, and that was to shore up the bluff, the stability of the bluff. So um, to see it now as this beautiful thing, it was a park in waiting, right? It wasn't, you know, it had like four, five trees and the whole thing. So to see it now really blossom as a, I think, a beautiful riverfront befitting of our phenomenal river, Um it is a beautiful thing to see, and in Jeannie Gang's hands, Studio Gang and Kate Orff at Scape, both went, both women owned firms. Uh, both women have been on the Time Magazine 100 Most Influential Americans. Kate is on this year. Both are MacArthur Genius Award winners, and both are the least puffed up, uh, most curious people I've ever known. I mean, Jeannie is like. You know, you would think with all the accolades in that CBS Sunday morning, which I have to say, seeing Memphis on twice. Wasn't that cool? Uh, that was so yeah. cool. Fred, Fred Smith was. Um, yeah, right before that, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it was, that was beautiful for Memphis. But to see those two firms um, really not try to, let me bring you my formula. I've done this six other times. It was so of the place. And that I think that over time, Earl, that's what we're going to be so proud of is because it feels so authentic to the place. What, have you had a chance to talk with the Memphis and May folks about 
how they uh, felt like it went. We know that the the crowds were down, but that you know we don't know why that is yet. They they got to analyze all of that. Uh, but uh, do you fully expect them to be back next year with the way things went this year? You know, Earl, I don't know. Honestly, the park is less than three week the three three weeks three months away from opening, and twenty four seven my attention is on getting. <laughs> This park finished and uh, making sure we open with the, a complete staff complement, well-trained and ready to make everybody feel warmly greeted and have fun in that park. When you say a staff, there will be people down there in the park that are working there other than maintenance people? Oh, yeah. We have, I mean, we have a staff of park rangers, Earl, who uh, manage five miles of riverfront. So we do this every day. This is not our first rodeo. And what we intend to have in the park are people who are uh, both, I mean, they're equipped to, to do light maintenance. They're equipped to give out equipment. They're, uh, uh, they can do sanitation, but they also, uh, everybody greets people in the park because we think being acknowledged when you first come into the park is actually part of security. Mm-hmm. It's part of making you feel at once secure but noticed. And the welcoming and belonging we believe is critical to feeling safe. Well, and I think that was one of the things many people wondered about with all the places with trees and moguls and, you know, you're not seeing from Riverside Drive anymore. They're saying, will it be safe? And so I said, well, I don't know. I have not been down there yet when it's not Memphis and May to see what it's like on a regular day. But with the lighting, and I'm sure you'll have security as well there, in addition to live eyes, you'll also have uh, cameras down there. We, in fact, we have a very sophisticated camera system going in that and we'll have people overnight, not just during the day, but overnight, um, because we want to protect the investment that Memphians have made in this park. But, um, but uh, you know, we were talking about this today because we're doing a, a presentation for our board soon on security, because we get asked that a lot. But again, I would say we know a lot about security. We know the kinds of incidents that happen, um, and mostly what, um, you know, we know 2% of the public consist of knuckleheads, all right? <laughs> 98% of people are just normal, wonderful yeah. people who just want to go to a park and have a nice, peaceful time. Absolutely. 2% drive you crazy. But the people who drive us crazy really are, uh, for the most part, they're, they, they're, not, they're not committing personal crimes again there, it's not a crime against a person it's really more vandalism it's crime against pop property we don't get a lot of it but we get you know or anything that is vandalized i'm like yeah, know. Uh, so you know you don't like that and you get also um you get unsheltered people right uh unhoused people who carry everything they have and and sometimes they are off meds and you got to work on that Kara Coletta, thank you for coming in. I, I think we knew a lot more about it, and I'd like to have you back right before the opening and talk about it again. Thank you for taking the time. Glad to be here. Labor Day. Labor Day. We'll be back. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome back. Uh, of course, the big news of the day, Trump indicted Uh and uh, all the stuff that's coming out of it, 37 uh, uh, charges. 
Uh, and uh, for the people I'm talking to, they're analyzing all this. Uh, the If he gets convicted of all charges, he could be serving a lot of time. Uh, will it come to that? Uh, other people I've talked to, uh, lawyers say that some of these charges are going to be very difficult to defend. And then you got stuff like CNN uh, first reporting uh, last week that the prosecutors had obtained an audio recording of Trump's 2021 meeting in his Bedminster, New Jersey resort with two people working on the autobiography of Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, as well as aides employed by the former president, including communication specialist Margo Martin. The transcript of the audio recording. And here's the interesting part. He just gets indicted today. This is the sealed indictment. How did the CNN get a transcript of this uh, recording uh, two weeks ago? And then how did everybody know that there were going to be, he was going to be indicted yesterday. And then he's in, actually, it comes out and they unseal the indictment today. Uh, it all looks just w- way too orchestrated. And, and it also looks like when they came out with all of the, the transcript and the information on Biden yesterday, they go, okay, release the hounds. And I think that was all done as a distraction to get everything off of Biden for a little bit. Uh, I don't think that's going away. And especially now, I somebody sent me a thing today that was very interesting. It was about, uh, if you go back in history and you look at uh, things that have happened, uh, and there are all these unintended consequences that, uh, that end up uh, taking place when you think you know what you're doing. And uh, uh, like with Caesar, Caesar was assassinated uh, because the members of the Senate and all thought he was gonna, going to, tr- to try to take over uh, Rome and have a dictatorship instead of the Senate system and, and their parliamentary procedures. And so he was assassinated. Well, it turns out that uh, it turned into a dictatorship, and then later on it fell. Uh, but there have been cases like this uh, throughout history. Um, and, and remember, my mother used to always tell me the thing that says, it's a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive because you never know what, what your actions are going to end up uh, resulting in. I mean, you may think you've got it all planned out. I mean, look how many criminals think they've got it all figured out. And some little bitty snag they could have never dreamed of comes along and, and throws a stick in the spokes, as it were, and everything changes. Uh, I know, and I've talked to so many people today, that they go, well, this is just, I mean, this is so disheartening. And that, that and that's their whole purpose in doing this, is to make people feel this way and to uh, say, hey, we're in charge. Never forget who's in charge. And if we can take down the former president of the United States and indict him 37 times. Hey, listen, you remember the old saying you can indict a ham sandwich? That's very true. Because when a district attorney goes into a grand jury room and says, this is all the bad stuff this person does, there's no other lawyer in there saying, no, that didn't. That's not how it happened. That's not what happened. They're going strictly on the word of the district attorney and what he tells the grand jury. And he says, this is a bad dude and you need to indict him. Well, guess what? Guess who this grand jury is? The same grand jury that went after all the January 6th individuals, too. Same people. And they were all instilled and paneled paneled into the grand jury because they were all part of the the team, you know, the the liberal Democratic team because they were picked by the liberal Democratic prosecutors in front of liberal Democratic judges, which is all D.C. is. It's all New York is. And what they're most afraid of right now is this U.S. District Court Judge Eileen Cannon, who was a Trump appointee, 
early on in another case, uh, she, she uh, judged uh, that they were way out of line on something. They later on got it overturned in a lower court, but uh, they're so afraid that she may be the judge in charge of this and may throw a lot of this out and, uh, and actually be fair. They're not used to having things be fair. That's the last thing that they want is fair. What they want is all the deck stacked in their favor. And if anybody should have a winning hand, they somehow can nullify it. And, uh, I even heard somebody discussing it today. She wrote a book on January 6th and she said the whole purpose of all this, the January 6th thing. And, and why well, I believe that that much of that was orchestrated by the FBI. Even they, they continue to deny that I don't trust the FBI at all. And, uh, and I'm talking to, talking about the rank and file, but the people who run the FBI, same thing with the CIA, uh, they have their agenda, the DOJ, uh, Merrick Garland, I don't know, that guy, thank God he didn't get to become a um, Supreme Court justice. On, uh, I mean, he's doing enough damage as it is. From what I understand, he's not even running the DOJ. It's a, it's a, uh, Obama, uh, person that's actually running it, this lady. And, uh, so it's all a, a big setup scam deal. And what they're wanting to do is, is eventually anybody that bucks them, anybody that runs against them, uh, you watch what happens. They take out Trump. The next person they're going to go after is DeSantis. If he's the next lead guy, and then he's going to, he, they're going to pull everything in the world on him. And their whole thing is not to try to win by great ideas, a better way of doing things. Uh, let's bring the country back to when it was, uh, you know, solid and, and, and producing, I mean, their whole thing is to destroy this country. And if you don't believe it, look at everything that Biden has done and his people. There's not one thing that we've sur- survived and done well at since they got into office. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you could not try harder to take down this country than what they're doing. And you look at the price of oil, those Saudis are uh, cutting back on production again. And we're sitting there on top of the biggest oil reserve in the world. And we're not doing anything. And they keep saying, well, you know, we'll take some more out of the oil reserve. Well, that's our oil, too, but it's okay to take it from there. We just can't drill for it. So it's, uh, I just say, don't be discouraged. Uh, uh, just, uh, you know, keep, uh, get up, go do your job, and uh, but just keep an eye on it and and uh, and get ready to vote. We've got to vote in numbers that they've never seen before. And uh, there's a lot of people you never know who's going to emerge. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., I mean, he's, I, I was worried about him because I didn't think he was a second amendment guy, but I heard the other day, he's a strict constitutionalist. And if he's a strict constitutionalist, that means uh, he's a believer of the second amendment. I do want to hear him speak directly to that, but uh, he knows what's going on with this government. He knows what they're doing and don't think they don't know that he knows what's going on and how to get things done and, and how to make things happen in, um, in DC. And he's the first one to tell you, he wants to get rid of all these, these, uh, private societies that are now running DC. He sees them for exactly what they are. His uncle and his father both saw the same thing. We're trying to do something about that. And we all know what happened to them. So it is uh, interesting times we live in and uh, you never really know what's getting ready to happen next. But here's what I say to you. They don't either. They may think they know. Um, but, uh, it is, uh, you, you just don't know and, and they don't either. And, uh, uh, and here's another thing that's coming said that this espionage act doesn't apply to presidents. Jack Smith, that, that's the prosecutor they brought back from Europe. who was over there wreaking havoc 
and it looks like he's been living under a bush somewhere. He's got this really unkempt looking beard, but he said, doesn't appear to be an idiot. So he knows this, that, uh, uh, espionage act doesn't apply to presidents. President's records act allows presidents to take their records with them when they leave office. Uh, the DOJ's election interference is worse than anything the Russians ever did. The indictment estimates that Trump's trial would take between 21 and 60 days. They wanted to sideline Trump, who is the leading presidential candidate in either party, and have him sit in a court instead of out campaigning. I've also heard that they want to uh, restrict his travel so he can't even go out and campaign uh, during the uh, primaries. And so if you call that election interference, I don't know what you would call it. You remember when uh, Hillary, they were going to try to get her uh, on trial for all the the emails that she destroyed. And they said, well, we can't do that because it's within 21 days of a primary and the FBI has a policy that we don't investigate because it would bring unfair publicity on a candidate if they were being investigated shortly before a primary so they didn't do anything. And Hillary's out there still just bumping around like uh, the common criminal she is. So uh, they do what they want to do. Don't ever forget it, and which is why we got to get them out of there because they always say nobody's above the law. <laughs> that goes for them too. So uh, we'll see what happens. We just got to get somebody that actually believes in the law and believes in enforcing it that's in Washington, D.C. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Mick Jagger, The Stones. I was telling you about this earlier. Uh, the indictment of uh, Donald Trump uh, elections and the law of unintended consequences. It really is considered a law. In ancient Rome, a group of men loyal to the Republic feared that Julius Caesar was going to make his dictatorship permanent and establish a monarchy in 44 B.C. They decided to assassinate him, thereby restoring the Republic. And in suing chaos and power vacuum, Caesar's great-nephew, Octavius, quickly rose to the top and assumed power and permanently ended the republic by establishing a de facto monarchy. After Caesar's death, it came out that he had never intended to create a monarchical system. The conspirators bought about precisely what they had tried to stop. And in the 19th century, India, under British colonial rule, I love this story, Authorities decided there were way too many venomous cobras in the streets of Delhi, making life uncomfortable for the Brits and residents and their families. To solve this, they offered a reward for every dead cobra residents would bring in. Soon, enterprising locals began to breed cobras in order to make a living from the bounty. <laughs> so they said, hey, we figured this deal out. The government caught on to this and canceled the program. The breeders, resentful of the rulers, and angered by their actions, decided to release their cobras back into the streets, thereby tripling the population from before the government program. Unintended actions. Other notorious examples would include the 18th Amendment establishing prohibition in the United States back in 1920, which was designed to stop the spread of alcoholism, but only ended up increasing alcohol consumption by a substantial amount. In fact, there, there was more booze coming into the country when they prohibited it than there ever was uh, back when it was legal. Another example of the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor in the Japanese in 1941, designed to decimate the United States Naval Force in one blow. 
because all of our ships primarily were at Pearl Harbor docked there. And they said, if we attack Pearl Harbor, we wipe out their Navy, they're going to be a pushover. And so that's exactly what they did. Instead, it shook the American public out of this deep isolationism, ensuring the total mobilization of the country's superior manpower and resources to not only defeat the Japanese, but also obliterate its military for good. The very success of the attack guaranteed the opposite of the intended result. Robert Greene writes in his spectacular book, The Laws of Human Nature. And that could very well be what happens here. You know, there's all these people kind of fractioned off in the Republican Party. And, and, and if you're conservative, you're for DeSantis. Or do you like uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's a Democrat? Yeah, I don't care who you like at this point. What you've got to realize is that uh, there's some stuff going on in this country right now that uh, we don't want to be a part of. We don't want to see happening. And they may have very well awakened a sleeping giant once again, just as it was awakened after Pearl Harbor. You know, they keep pushing people, and that's what happened then. They kept pushing. They were the, the Brits were pushing us to get into the war because they were really suffering, being bombed by Germany. Uh, you know, you had all these other countries were being sucked into it, but we were determined to stay out of it. Wasn't our war? We were over here in America. The, the Japanese were way over there. The Germans and the Italians were way over there. We'll just stay out of it until they bombed Pearl Harbor. And then they said, we got to get in it. And not only did they get in it, uh, it's just like right now, everybody thinks the United States is no longer a leader in the world. That's because it's been subdued by our leaders. We would return very, very quickly with the right leadership and take our rightful place as leaders in the world in every category. Uh, China doesn't want to see that. I mean, the rest of the world is very happy with where we are right now and with the leaders we have right now. That should tell you everything. And, uh, until we get it right, they're going to keep clapping their little hands like little party kids. And uh, it, it will turn around. And uh, I, think, I don't think they really have thought this through. I think they think they have, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, this is another article, a test of Garland's integrity, which is because uh, I think people, a lot of people still think that he is still very bitter over not being appointed to the Supreme Court. And the head of the DOJ was a, was a real uh, second choice on his list. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, I don't trust <coughs> Merrick Garland for beans. And, and I think there's a good reason for it. Uh, I don't think he's a trustworthy person, which I think a lot of people saw through when uh, they were actually uh, put his name in the, in the hopper for a seat on the Supreme Court. Uh, there, I did see an article a minute ago, not to jump off track, but it was a guy jumped in the zoo in the alligator pit at the zoo. And, uh, he was taunting the alligators and he was, uh, kind of also, uh, mocking the people who were outside, uh, watching the whole thing go down. Uh, and, uh, uh, when I was a kid, down at the uh, ranch uh, uh, in Texas, our ranch farm said, come on, we got to go to Fort Worth to get some parts for a tractor. And I thought, oh, boy, because we went to the ranch, and it was pretty isolated down near Meridian, Texas, and Bosque County. I mean, we went to the ranch. We never left the ranch. I and mean, it was my brother, me, the ranch foreman, and his wife, and a lot of deer, cows, and horses. 
And so the fact that we got to go to town was really exciting. And so we uh, we had to go get the parts. And I went this place and said, it's going to be a little bit before we get it. So we all said, let's go to the zoo. So we go to the Fort Worth Zoo. And there was this lake. And so we said, it was really hot. And we had all our cowboy stuff on, boots and everything. So we sat down and they said, a little short fence. And just right. So if you put your legs through it and dangle your feet in the water, you can put your arms on the little railing that went around. And so we're sitting there, cooling off, put our feet in the water. We hear it with a loudspeaker. With the man and the two boys with their feet in the alligator pit, please get away from there. And we're looking around going, what kind of idiots would be putting their feet in the alligator pit? <laughs> Turns out we were the idiots. Uh, but this kid, he, I think he knew exactly where he's going. I don't know what the outcome of it was, but uh, do not get into the alligator pit. So there's a reason for that. Uh, they look at you as chow time. And uh, uh, I, I played down in Florida to golf at Disney World and was out there playing, and there was a big alligator lying up next to one of the sand traps on the green, and I hit over nearby. They said, you're going to go hit? I said, I'm going to let him have it. <laughs> I mean the ball. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll come back. We're going to talk about security, securing your business, big business. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you and welcome back. Uh, you just heard Jim Miller, our newscast, talking about the liquor store that got uh, smashed in and robbed of about $10,000 in booze. It's the second break-in for them in this similar fashion since uh, last August. Uh, and it, they then I talked uh, to Josh um, uh, Romy, uh, that he, the owner said that um, they had uh, lost about that much, maybe a little bit more the first break-in. Um, uh, but, uh, Josh Hammond said that, uh, this time they were the, over the 100th, uh, liquor store to be hit since back there in August. It's a problem all over the country. We're talking, going to check in now with, uh, Matt Morgan, who's the CEO of Protogetic. Did I pronounce that right, Matt? You did. Protogetic. Proto- P-R-O-T-O-G-I-G-E-T-I-C. Protogetic. And it's a collaboration between the technology and security industries and it's, uh, to find a protective design building products. The company's headquarters is in Spokane, Washington. He's currently in San Francisco at the AIA uh, Architectural Convention looking at the latest in design for security things. But they build everything from uh, bullards to fences to gates to steel doors uh, to they'll manufacture whatever it is you want and they do it in a uh, architecturally sound and design sound and technical sound manner and thank you for joining us matt uh, it, as we discussed earlier today it is a huge problem all over the country it's not just here in memphis it's in spokane it's everywhere yeah it's very true that's very true i mean as we were talking earlier um, we've had a bit of a wave over in, in Spokane, Washington, as you're having a wave in Memphis. And, and prior to that, it was in, uh, Northern California, 
there was a, a, a wave on pawn shops that were dealing in silver and gold. So we see it everywhere right now. Now you said the the, the break ins in Spokane were, were gun stores and Correct. Which that really scares you because that means they're gearing up for more. And the, and the interesting thing here, Earl, is is that in in very similar fashion to Memphis, these are highly organized groups of people. Yeah, it, you know, I've watched that Memphis tape uh, several times now. Uh, the coordination here, how they drive into the parking lot, where they park, their speed of movement, where they you know they know where they're going in the shop. This exact same scenario played out in Spokane, but you're right, with guns, a much more frightening uh, possibility and potential for for further criminal behavior. I was uh, talking to your associate, uh, uh, Todd Stump, and he was telling me that uh, he's originally from Chicago. He said, it all started in my city in Chicago, and then it spread out from there. And, and we see what's happened to Chicago. It's not just a uh, smash and grab. It has the highest murder rate of any place in the country right now, which I guess all of it kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, it does. I mean, we're, we're, we're clearly seeing, you know, at Protogenic, um, we're, we're fielding calls and communications every day, and we're clearly seeing the trend increasing at a rapid rate, not staying, you know, stagnant or, or midline, it is uh, truly a situation that is not getting any better. And we need to really start relying on ourselves because the police can't be everywhere no. at once. We, we've really got to take on this, this responsibility and challenge to ourselves. Well, how, what do you find usually is the first response as they come and they say, well, can we get some kind of like a uh, a, a bigger, stronger front door, because I think that's what they did at uh, Buster's Liquor that's now been hit twice. He put in some some high-tech cameras, which you saw. They're very effective as far as sure. being able to yep. record what happened, but it didn't stop them. And then they he put up some, uh, some blockades to keep them from hitting the front door again, so they just went through the window. But what you guys, what is, so what do you find that happens? They, first they say, what's the cheap fix, or do they immediately say, what can stop this? Well, I, they say what can stop this, and we we sort of answer that question with another question. We we take a step back. We have the client first take a step back, and we ask them, "What is your primary threat? Yeah, what keeps you up at night? Is it a vehicle uh, crashing into the front of your uh, operation? Is it armed robbers? A team of four men with automatic tools working on your door?" What what's your threat? In this case with Buster's, it's a vehicle. So, you know, he's got, as you can see in the video, he's got a very long storefront retail concept there. Right. He has to protect that entire thing because all of those windows are vulnerable to entry. So, you know, for him to go in and, and be proactive and put in that door in the first place which was a good move. However, without reinforcing or redesigning the frame that that door goes into, that door is just going to pop right out as well. You explain it as, as an onion defense system. Explain that. Well, you know, it, it, it comes in layers. You, you build your defenses from the outside in. So you're going to start off with vehicle barriers, you know, the bollards outside the store, 
at a given distance, yeah? Then as you move in, you're going to move into what we call forced entry, yeah? Uh, A forced entry door and a forced entry window. These are fortified, rated, certified products that will deflect entry for a period of 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, even 60 minutes, depending on really what the nature of your threat is. If you're a downtown store, you want a 15 to maybe it maybe a 30 minute door because the police will arrive. But if you're a, a law of, you know, a fair distance away from any law enforcement or um, security groups, you're going to want a 45 minute door to a 60 minute door. So it's all about starting out on the outside with perimeter security and vehicle barriers, and then moving indoor inwards with windows and doors that are, that are fortified and reinforced. You've got a picture on your uh, website of a big uh, tractor trailer that uh, runs up and and goes full speed into one set of bullards. And it literally tore the truck apart. I think that's what these store owners would like to see is not only does it stop them, but it, it absolutely disables the vehicle. They can't even get out of there in that vehicle again. And if you tore up the big truck, then it's going to tear up a smaller car or a smaller truck. Uh, and, oh. and this is at high rates of speed. And this truck, the truck that we saw Buster's backing into, it was going like 10 miles, 15 miles an hour. It wasn't even going that fast. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's just it. See, the, the two, there are two worlds. You know, it, when, you, when you start buying vehicle barriers – and you just buy the poles that sticking out of the ground. And I think in the video you can actually see that they did put in some some vehicle barriers, uh, if you want to call them that, at the front door. There's a four bollard yeah. array. But when I looked at that video, you can see that it's a surface mounted bollard. That that bollard's going to pop right off. They just have bolts holding it to the side. Yeah, you just got a bolt holding it down. Yeah. So when you talk about a crash-rated certified bullet that you saw on the video that tears apart that truck, those are the two different worlds, and and people really need to understand that. In order to protect property, you know, there's a a lot more questions that need to be answered. They're straightforward and simple questions. And that's what Protogetic is there to do for architects and engineers, but also laymen, to allow them to get their head around what they need quickly and be able to get in touch with the people that that can install it and, and, and put it in, in 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 the proper manner. We're talking with Matt Morgan, who's the founder, CEO of Protogetic. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation uh, right after the break, and we're going to talk about the cost of some of this. But when you think about the cost, if you don't, I think it starts to add up uh, to be a very wise decision. We'll be right back. Stay with us. And welcome back. We're talking with Matt Morgan, CEO and founder of Protogetic, which is a company that uh, makes your businesses uh, impenetrable. Uh, you just got to come up with the right plan. He's right now in San Francisco at a big architectural convention, uh, meeting with architects and and the technology industry, coming up with the latest products out there. Uh, and I guess the question always is: is uh, you know, what's it going to take to stop these people? Because uh, uh, 
they're, they're just seemingly getting away with it wherever they go, whether it's a, a gun store or robbing a, a pawn shop for all the stuff they can get there or liquor stores where uh, the busters got hit for 10,000 on this job. I think it was 20,000 on the last job. Um, and so, uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. It, when you came up with the idea, I mean, you're from the tech business and then you started saying, how do we bring the architecture and tech together to offer the best the products that are out there, I guess was your whole, uh, theme. Well, correct. I mean, one of the things is, is first and foremost is protogenic. isn't, isn't just to clarify, isn't a, a, the direct manufacturer. We work with all of the manufacturers within the security industry. We're a marketplace for all of that. So we're the, we're the experts and we're also the experts on the experts kind of thing. So bringing it together, um, was, really the the process of of just looking at the market seeing what was happening within um certain social uh uh demographics if you will and 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 regions and and coming together with a concept that allowed us to take the security industry which has never really been in in the digital marketplace online, if you will, and, and combine it with, uh, the manufacturers that were making the, the top best products to protect people and property. Yeah. And you had a good overview of everything that's out there, just like where you are today. How many security companies are going to go to an architectural convention? Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, here in San Francisco right now, it's probably the largest turnout for uh, the AIA uh, conference that I've ever seen. It is simply enormous. And and when we were there last year, for example, most of the manufacturers weren't even there. It was really architect and engineering driven. Now we're seeing all of the high security companies also show up at the show. So I I think it's just a a real clear sign that, uh, again, these two communities need to come together and work a lot closer um, in their designs. It's it's the times we're living in. Um, I think, you know, a, a real trend that we'll see within general construction is that on any large building, the first three floors or maybe even up to six floors will have to have a level of rated certified security uh, built into them in order to keep people safe. Well, I know San Francisco has got a huge homeless problem. And because of that, they've got a huge crime problem. And even the corporations out there that are saying, you know, we're not going to prosecute people from walking in our stores and taking things. I saw an article the other day where Walgreens in Chicago is now locking all their stuff up. You have to go to it like an old Tommy general store Ask the store clerk to get to whatever it is you buy, and then they bring it up to the counter and you check out. Um, so I guess, the, the, as you said earlier, your, your real security starts outside the building. And because so many of these people are not robbing them while they're in business, they're coming after hours. And, and because they're moving fast, they get in, they get out. Everybody's shorthanded with police. Uh, and so the products you come up with are what stopped them from getting in the building. And you said it's up, up to an hour, possibly, depending on uh, the the technology and the 
structure of your your defenses um just to give people an idea of what it costs i mean the the basic categories of uh bullards like they had at busters which were bolted to the sidewalk and did absolutely nothing to stop it i mean i guess that was more for show than anything else correct correct those really are sort of show pieces for the general public and 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 that type of a bollard will cost you anywhere between let's say $130 to maybe $225 per per unit sort of per unit just to sort of stick in the ground and you just you know you know put a cement driver in there and and hope for the best bolt it in and and that's it but we saw the the truck just went right through them like they weren't even there oh yeah yeah I mean, th- those things are going to snap off immediately, um, and and so there's there's n- again beyond the aesthetics, there's no level of protection. Yeah. So for a business like his, as you noticed, he has a very long storefront that uh, runs the length of his parking lot, just about. Do you suggest putting up bullocks all along there? I know you go to like Target has those big red balls, which kind of meets with their store decor. But that's essentially what they are. You're not driving a truck through that big concrete ball. Uh, at least I've never seen one try. But with these things, would you would you recommend putting bullocks all along his windows, all the way across the front of his store? Well, I mean, this is one of the big challenges. First, we ask, what's the threat? Once we, we understand what the threat is, then we want to take a look at the property. He does have a really long storefront um, to protect. Um, and that window space, as you and I both know, Earl is gold for him to promote his business. Right. So he can't, he can't board it up. He can't, you know, block it out or anyway. So he, he, he's really in a situation where he'll need to go with a couple of options. First one, of course, is the bollard option, which is probably, let's call it 20 bollards, that we are called uh, that are called manual retractable, which means they're stationary. And then, if you want to move them, so you can take a delivery or something, you can go out and and pull them up through a locking system, and you can and you can put them down, and and the delivery can be made. Right. right? Okay. There's also a post and cable system, and that's most likely what I would recommend which is uh, basically almost like a fencing system, but it's heavy line cable that would run the length of the storefront. um, And every, let's say, 12 feet would be fortified with another post that it would wrap around and then continue on. And those are surprisingly effective and time-consuming for... Anybody Thieves trying to get criminals. in. Criminals. Exactly. I, I think exactly. I know what you're talking about. We use them here on our interstate system. They're along the median. So if a, even a tractor trailer tries to, ends up cutting across a medium, this cable system actually stops a tractor trailer rig that's huge and rolling fast from cutting across the median. So I think I got an idea what you're talking about. Correct. It's, it's, it's really, it really absorbs the impact. Um, doesn't break, doesn't snap. And then just kind of redirects that that incoming energy to a different direction. 
And the good news is because he's looking at another huge expense, just not counting the booze, but the windows that they took out. uh, You know, those are very expensive. Enormous cost. Yeah. Enormous cost. Yeah. I, I, you know, listen, Earl, I would love the opportunity to sit down with Buster himself. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to put you with him. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. And and uh, just, just give him a couple of just some of the basics in terms of helping him get his head around what he's got to defend against because i don't think this is going to get any better anytime no, soon i don't either in fact maybe uh kwam sponsors a trip to you uh, coming here to memphis and we'll put on a seminar because uh, as you said it ain't going to get any better and we're not able to hire any more police so that leaves it up to and that's what we're really pushing is to teaching people how to defend their property and themselves and the best way to do it and we're wanting to bring in experts like yourself to do it you want to give them a phone number that they, and how they can get in touch with uh, Photogenic and, and start exploring your products and what you can do for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me give you our 800 number, yeah, for starters. Okay, make it quick because we're running out of time. Okay, break. that's 855-PROTOGETIC. That's 855-776-8643. Uh, and my name is Matt Morgan, and I'd be happy to answer all of your questions. Matt, thank you very much. I'll be back in touch with you. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. And thank you very much. Welcome back. Uh, joining me in studio now is Randy Wright with The Dive Shop. And we were just looking at some photos of Destin, Florida. And he showed me one. He said, look at this. This looks like the Caribbean. And it does. It's unbelievable. They've got... They, they're reporting down there diving 70-foot-plus visibility right now. You can't see 70 feet in New York City right now but, uh, because of the smoke. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but that is incredible. And the water, if you've got friends that are down there, get them to send you pictures because the water is turquoise blue inshore and outside. We I were mean, just there two weeks ago, phenomenal. and it was absolutely spectacular. There is no seaweed either, just other than the natural seaweed. That sure. Can, it's not like it down in uh, the... Keys and the east coast yeah, of Florida. And stuff they got the yeah, they do have that horrible gasman weed, uh, but there's none of that down there. The water's clear as it can be, and uh, I was looking at a video. In fact, I sent you a copy of it of sure. these people diving for wrecks, and these were I don't maybe in the Pacific because they these were Sherman tanks and half tracks and jeeps. Well, there's a there's an underwater museum in the Red Sea that somebody's done something like that, but uh, you know all over the Pacific. Any place where there was fighting going on, there's wrecks. And there are, like, for instance, Truck Lagoon, where the the U.S. Navy caught up with the Japanese merchant fleet after Pearl Harbor and sank some hundred and some odd ships in six hours or eight hours of action. I'd never heard that story. Truck Lagoon. Yeah. It's uh, Chuk is the name of the, the, is the native name, C-H-U-U-K. Which pronounced Chuk. Our truck? Uh, well, I'm sure the, the Americans pronounced it truck based on <laughs> what they were hearing, you know. And um, But the the warships got it. They did a flyover the day before that they attacked this place. So the warships got out. They only sunk a couple of those, and they sunk them outside of this volcanic ring. Everything else was trapped in this natural harbor and went down with the crews, the, the cargoes, everything. And so it's one of the most incredible things in the world. You go there. And uh, if you guys could see this room that we're in, what is this, about 12 by 16, something like that? Yeah, about, yeah. So a, a hold on a cargo ship back in those days was maybe 20 by 30. It was not 
huge like these ships are now. But you swim down to these things, and they're all in about 130 feet of water. The top of them are up as high as 85, you know, 70 feet type of thing. So really an easy dive. Oh, yeah. And you swim down into these holds, and you swim through one, and it's all gas mask. Wow. This crate's a gas mask. And you go into the next one, it's 500-pound bombs. Oh my! And then you go into the next one; it's jeeps, and then the next one is zero engines, and you know, and it's you just go, you see every bit of the war machinery in pieces, parts in the holds of these ships, and it's absolutely incredible. I mean, it's you do it, you do it day after day after day, and don't get tired of it. Every time you go around a corner, it's just, oh my goodness, look at this. That's what I was noticing about this because my dad was a tank commander, Sherman tank commander in, in Europe. And I've seen all these pictures of him on a Sherman tank. And here are these Sherman tanks still intact. I mean, there may be some huh? coral on, on the sure. gun, the, the, yeah. the big gun. But otherwise, the steel's all there. It's, everything's just exactly the way it was when it went down. It's pretty amazing. And these, these are pretty much overgrown in a lot of cases. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's just stunning to go from boat to boat to boat and and you get go into like the captain's quarters and they have these ornately porcelain tiled bathtubs and things i mean it's just amazing to see it all well and the good thing about uh, destiny right now is there a lot of things you could, could go do that are there and just going out in fact you just showed me this uh, boat that i saw when i was down there because sure. i i called i sent you a, a picture of it and you said oh yeah i know who that yeah, is yeah absolutely yeah. And so you, you go out, but uh, you guys take people down there uh, mm-hmm. and take you, you, your uh, dive uh, people. And uh, it is, uh, I mean, the fishing's great. You can you can do spear fishing down there. Yep, you and can spear fish off of most of the dive boats down there. Which to me would be much more exciting than going out there on a, on a big boat uh, and spending uh, three thousand dollars for one day <laughs> to go out and hope you find something. Yeah, you, but, well. They're pretty good. I mean, Ed, when you go out on those commercial charters, those guys are in touch with each other, and they know where the fish are, and they are pretty good. I mean, I know a lot of people that fish in Destin. Well, good. The next time I go, I'll get a tip from you. Then we yeah, absolutely. We can hook you up with a captain that'll put you on some fish. But it's a, uh, you know, I mean, and actually you can call scuba tech. See, that's the thing about the all of the boat captains down there. They talk to each other. Mm-hmm. It's, all a, it's all good because they have days when they can't service their customers and they need somebody to refer them to. Where, where are they biting? Yeah, and yeah. then they have situations where, you know, they don't have enough people for their boat and somebody else has too many and all of that goes on. But they're, they're on cell phones all the time well, talking to each other about where the fish are and what's going on and all those kinds of things. What I saw was a guy in, it looked like a little bigger than a kayak, but it have a dive flag on it. Mm-hmm. And he was out there by himself for a couple of hours. All of a sudden the boat for the people, you know, show up with right. 20 divers on it. Yeah. Yeah, there's, and so they have those. I guess scouts are out there, and they say, if "You get onto something, let us know." Well, in that case, they're diving on known sites. I okay, mean, they are they are diving on in Destin. There are a couple of wrecks. They just put down a new one here last year. There's also a lot of situations where they took the old sections of the causeway bridges and just took them out there on barges and shoved them off. So you have all of this multi-layered concrete slab down there that creates incredible offshore habitat uh, for the fish. And that's been going on the Gulf Coast for years and years and years and years. Originally started even before the diving days as, um, as fish habitat. 
in Destin particularly, I've been on one site that was a guy that was in the plumbing business and a hurricane came through and, you know, tore up everything in one of those high rises down there. So he took all the broken toilets and all that kind of stuff and, and, you know, sinks and, uh, washing machines and dryers and all that kind of stuff out there and dropped it on the bottom in one spot. And we got more lobsters out of toilets one day than I've seen <laughs> in most stores, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool place and there's a lot of stuff to do all up and down the Gulf coast. Um, so, you know, a lot of people think diving isn't accessible from Memphis, but we have lakes and quarries around within a three hour drive. Uh, with great diving, and then you get down to the Gulf Coast and all the way from Orange Beach over to Mexico Beach, you've got great diving. Uh, there is a World War II wreck off the coast of Panama City. About It's about a four-and-a-half-hour boat ride out there, but uh, it was sunk by a U-boat wow. during World War II. Yeah, so we talked about that before. Yeah. I, I had no idea U-boats were in the Gulf. I mean, Oh, yeah. They went to the movies in Pensacola and New Orleans, you know, <laughs> sneak into America and go see a film. Don't uh, talk to anyone. I'm looking at a picture of a friend of mine, Phil Weir, who actually lives in Colorado now. I knew him from Dallas. He was a big nightclub owner. But he also lived for a number of years in Rotan, Honduras. Rotan, yeah. And here's a picture of uh, the sunset there. He's back down there on vacation. But he used mm-hmm. to uh, teach scuba diving, take people out and everything. Sure. Huge scuba diver. And he said... And I'd heard that Honduras is one of the best scuba diving locations in the world. Roatan specifically has been a huge hit for a long time. It's one of the, of course, it's changing a little bit. Since COVID, they've remodeled some of the resorts and it's gotten a little bit more expensive. But it was kind of like Cozumel. It's one of the off-price destinations. Really cool resorts built right on the water. You could dive right offshore. A couple of those have gotten a little more expensive now, but I have a good friend of mine, uh, Bill Sexton, Sexton Realty down in Olive Branch. And Bill is down there um, just in the next week or so looking at property to to possibly do a development. It's one of those kind of things to where it's big. Yeah, well, and people people are wanting to go there. More and more people are scuba diving. We're talking with Randy Wright at the Dive Shop. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back and talk about some trips they've got coming up that are already set that you can be a part of. If you're certified, if you're not, we'll tell you how to get certified. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. In studio with you right now, Randy Wright with the Dive Shop. And... Uh, we were uh, just talking about places to go. You guys, uh, the dive shop and, and the, the dive ventures, uh, you sure. guys have uh, have uh, merged with. Uh, mm-hmm. Got stores all over the country now. And between the two businesses, you guys are going all over the world. Absolutely. I mean, we're stretched out now. We've got locations as far west as Phoenix. Wow. Uh, and as far east as Atlanta. And I think there's a new one now in the Carolinas. It's even closer to the coast. But all of us are planning dive trips all the time. And so you, if there's a place where you want to go, you just go to DiveVentures.com, click on travel, and they have all the destinations there. Pick a place you want to go. There'll be not one, but several opportunities over the next 10 or 12 months to go. And, you know, since the pandemic and people weren't going anywhere there, now people are, are doing things again. They're getting out one to go places. But I'm hearing a lot more people that are saying, we don't want to go on cruises. We'd like to have trips with just our family and go to the places like where you go, where you're sure. small groups, 
it's much more intimate and you're not packed in with 5,000 people. Well, and if you prefer to travel with your family like that and not be a part of one of our groups, we are full service travel professionals. We know where to go. We sit and counsel with you about what other activities you'd be interested in besides the diving. Okay, so if you got four divers and two people that have to have a golf course, that's severely limiting in the Caribbean. <laughs> but it can be done. Yeah. There are several places that you can go that have beautiful courses, professionally designed, just just everything you'd like to have in a golf course, and the rest of your family can dive every day. So, well, you, we were looking at pictures of those people taken out by the Destin dive mm-hmm. boat. Yeah. And uh, they, they, every day they're taking a whole load of people out again. Sure. And, and what's the difference between going out with a dive boat like that versus renting, going out one of those big uh, commercial fishing deals that could cost you anywhere from nine hundred to two or three thousand a day for your family? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, going out to dive is going to be. I, I'm, I haven't checked the prices in Destin recently. I am going down there myself in July, uh, and I'm going to dive kind of up and down the coast from from Destin down as far as um, uh, Mexico Beach in that area just kind of checking out some new places that sure. I haven't been further east. but the Which uh, is the tough part of your job is scouting locations. Yeah, some, <laughs> somebody's got to do it. But, uh, you know, we've been diving. I've known Nancy as long as I've been in the diving business, probably 35 years. Nancy Burchette at Scuba Tech there in Destin. And there's three, I think, three different companies now running boats out of Destin. There's about five running boats out of Pensacola. There's a couple in Orange Beach. I mean, there's lots of boats. And you, you can expect to pay for a morning two-tank trip I would think these days, and I don't misquote me because I haven't checked this year, but probably it's a couple of hundred bucks a person. You know? Much more affordable. And if you can, if you get a, a spear fishing uh, gear, sure, you, you go out and uh, you could definitely get your limit. Yeah, well, you have to be aware. Some of these boats have commercial fishing licenses, which means that as a passenger on the boat, you're legit. Some of them don't, which means that you have to you have want to the, check ahead. You have to have the Florida fishing license and that kind of thing. So. Uh, you need to be aware of what the regulations are. Spear fishing, like any other kind of fishing, is highly regulated. Well, and it's not something you want to just go down there and say, let's give it a try. You want to become proficient at it. Uh, it is. There is a specialty course in spear fishing, and it is something that um, you do need training in. Uh, if you can imagine uh, going out bow hunting, but your bow would attach you to whatever you <laughs> shot. <laughs> <laughs> You want to plan ahead and say, yeah. that. You, would, like, you get jerked out of your tree stand and drugged down through the, through, through the creek. It's a 300 pound grouper right there. Uh, <laughs> we might want to just uh, wrap it around a shoehorn or yeah, something. You, you might not, it. you might want to, you might want to start with something smaller that'll fit on your plate. Well, I've seen that spear, uh, uh fishing apparatus in your office leaning sure. in the corner and the rubber tubing on that thing is about an inch and a quarter. Yeah. I mean, you got to have some power just to pull that thing back to, to it's load a, it up. There's an art to all of it. And of course there are safety things about not loading that gun on the boat but yes. again the spear is tied to the gun so if you were to shoot it above the water it's going to travel to the end of the string and then come directly back at whoever's <laughs> holding the gun so you don't you yeah, know, yeah, no, don't do that yeah there's a lot of little things and and you know obviously we talked about the visibility being so great mm-hmm. in Dustin right now but i've been down there a lot of times and visibility is 15 feet yeah so if you've got a, a spear gun that will shoot 25 feet 
you got to be really, really careful that you don't know what's on the other side well, of the wall there. No different than shooting a rifle exactly. or gun. You got to know you're responsible for wherever that spear goes the or that bullet. Entire trajectory. Yeah. And so you got to be. Do you also teach spear fishing? Absolutely. At dive shop. Absolutely. We sure do. And there is spear fishing in Arkansas. You know, one of the reasons diving is so big in Arkansas is that you can spear fish for game fish in Arkansas. Even even trout. Uh, well, not I don't think trout, but, but you, you can bass, bass and, walleye, yeah. all the stuff that's in all the big lakes over there, catfish. I did not know that. Uh, and it's one of the few states in the country. I think uh, at this point, um, Arkansas and Alaska are the only two places that you can shoot game fish. <laughs> wow. Now, you can shoot carp and yeah, all those yeah. kinds of things in most states. But, but these are game fish. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is stuff you would bring home to eat. Eat, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which in, in the meantime you're scuba diving and which is fun in itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, staying cool. Everybody else is everybody <laughs> else's fishing's burning up up there, getting sunburned and all that kind of stuff. And then there you have to even in the summer you wear a, a wetsuit because if you get yeah. in the water it's, it's chilly. Chilly, particularly could, about twenty eight feet is where the thermocline is in the summertime. I was gonna it'll, say it'll but, drop fifteen degrees. Yeah. Once so. you get there you all said you're going burr. Yeah, and, absolutely. And when you get when you get warm again, you say, "I'm going topside," <laughs> and yeah. then you want to get out of your wetsuit as quick as possible. Uh, that's it. Uh, if they're interested in in uh, coming and finding out more about scuba diving, because you guys got classes that are cranking up all the time. Oh yeah, we're we're teaching regularly scheduled classes every month. Private classes. We're teaching specialties all the time to learn about night diving and deep diving and how to find the boat, navigation, and and various other specialty topics. So there's more than just getting involved. There is continuing ed that can take you all the way to, to the pro level. You can become an instructor here in Memphis if you'd like. And if you've been certified before and it's been a few years, that uh, you have a refresher course. Which sure. You're not paying anywhere near what it would be starting from ground zero again. Exactly. And, and most resorts, particularly in the Caribbean, recommend or even require that you have been diving in the last 6 to 18 months or they require a refresher. So why not do it here and mm-hmm. not miss a couple of days in your diving while you're down there? Yeah, get ahead. And, and I will also say this, because I did it. I got certified in the Bahamas. And the certification in the Bahamas at Club Med is very similar to when they teach you to swim by throwing in the swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) Swim! No, make your arms go like this. Uh, It it was very rudimentary. I survived it, and so did the person I was with. But after being around you all these years and seeing what you teach at the dive shop and having known people who have gone through your course, this is your life. You only got one. Sure. and, And your family as well. And you want everybody to be on the same page, to have the same kind of training so that everybody knows the same thing. Learning well, from different people, sometimes you get the full thing and sometimes you don't. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. We've been doing this now for 63 years in Memphis, Tennessee, and we have owned certification agencies, you know, so come by and see us. We're at 999 South Yates or call us at 763-DIVE and we'll get you involved too. Do it. You'll love it. <laughs> Have a great weekend, Randy, and I'll be looking for the next uh, food item on Facebook. Thank you, sir. That was great. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday.